The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Yeah, so why don't you um, hit me with the question then? Okay, so um, I think there's a few things here. The first thing is, it's good that you can identify where you perceive it came from. I think it's also important to remember that the past doesn't have to dictate the future. Um, I'm not going to make any assumptions about your relationship with your parents or money, so I'm just going to say some things which may or may not be relevant to you. Um, The first thing is, a lot of people if they feel they've got some limiting beliefs that hold them back or don't serve them now and they came from their parents, they can feel some slight resentment to that situation or those people. Um, And if there is any of that, I think the important thing is to know that, you know, your mum, your parents or whoever, you know, were raising you and, and impressioning upon you values, which everyone does to each other, They were doing the best with what they knew and they were only passing down what they believed to be true uh, and they were trying to protect you from the things that they perceived you needed protecting from, you know, assuming that they loved you, which I would say 99.9% of parents do love kids. I I don't suppose every single one does, but nearly all do. But the thing is, they often, the generation before... You know, if if I'm 40, if you're around that age or whatever age, you know, our parents are of a different generation where, you know, their their model was different. It was work hard, save, don't take risks, stay with the same employer forever. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Money's hard to come by. So be frugal. Um, You know, don't be extravagant, you know, whatever. Um, But the world is different now and money is much easier to come by because money moves at the speed of light through fiber optics, because the Internet helps you reach millions or maybe even more customers, clients, followers and fans, because you can set up any kind of business with just some kind of payment merchant, which you pay pennies in the pound for all the money that you take. You don't have to have overhead of premises and staff and stock holding because Amazon can hold it in a warehouse and you don't have to wear the stock and you don't have to buy it in advance. Sorry, you don't have to store the stock. You don't have to wear it, um, buy it in advance. You can create information products and sell those without any physical overhead or, you know, the deep expense in research and development and stock and creating and making things. 
So it really is a different world and it is a lot easier to make money. And we have a more global connected nature with money and money moves faster. Um, and there's more knowledge and information about how to create money. We have different problems. I'm not saying the world is better in every way because we have problems of overwhelm, which can lead to confusion. You know, obviously we have this really interconnected world where maybe security is not as easy or, you know, we, we have this sort of, um, you know, everyone knows about us. There's these sort of s social anxieties on social media, but, but, you know, they're not relevant to this conversation. The point is, it's easier than ever to make money. Money is moving faster than ever before. You can research online, solve problems and create products very quickly and easily with low overhead and low risk. So, you, you know, this belief that money is hard to come by is not true anymore. Money is abundant. There's virtually infinite amounts of money. Um, you know, if you added up the um, all the amount of money in the global economy and then all the gold and all the securities and assets that backed against the money and then the amount of times each one of those units of money or asset flow and exchange from one to another to another to another to another to another, you have a number to the power of 15 or 20 or 50 that you can't even comprehend, which is, whilst it's not infinite, it's virtually infinite. Um, yeah. So the, the facts are that money is virtually infinite and wholly abundant and flows easily and quicker to those people who create solutions to meaningful problems. So that, that is the reality. I'm convinced of that. So all you need to do is forgive the people who imposed beliefs upon you that don't serve you anymore. Thank them for everything that they did to you and for you that serves you. Because by the way, half of that feeling of lack of abundance of money and a bit of scarcity to money is a good, it's a good half to have in the whole because it stops you taking stupid risks. It keeps you balanced. It makes you do good due diligence and research in business opportunities and investing opportunities. So it actually serves you, but it serves you half the time. You know, I think a great way to look at money is to protect the downside, do some diligent research to a point. And then go in, and when you're decided, go in and go big, but only after protecting the downside. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I and I guess sort of leading on from that, I mean, I'm keen not to pass this on. I mean, I've got three kids, and um, you, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very conscious that I want to bring up them up in a way that uh, they have a healthy relationship with money, and maybe don't have the sort of scarcity baggage that I was you know, picked up from, from my sort of post-war parents. So I guess that was sort of one of the things that I wanted to ask you about too. Well, I, I think first off, continue to develop your knowledge around money. Um, obviously, you've read my book, Money. Um, yeah. Go into the history, the story, the psychology, the economic side of money. Because the more you learn about money, the more you cannot hold a belief that it's scarce. You can't. It's impossible to when you know what it actually is and what it does and how it operates. You know, it's a universal exchange of value. Um, it's, it's a measurement of account. It's a store for an uncertain future. Um, you know, money today is always worth more than money tomorrow. You know, when you learn the fundamental rules of money, it, it, you cannot hold a scarcity mindset around money. You can only hold an abundant mindset. But, you know, you're combating previous beliefs. So you'll want to overwhelm your conscious and unconscious mind with this continual education of money, whether it's reading my book 10 times 
or reading a hundred books and listening to podcasts. Yeah, I have a podcast called Money, listening to all the, the, the podcasts. And then in the end, you because you have so much compelling evidence, you simply rewrite your beliefs. Um, now, some things that... That's the key to it, yeah. You, yeah, but a, a positive overwhelm. So some fundamental things I think that can help you help yourself and help your kids are understanding what creates money and, and what repels money and the myths that people have around what creates money. So what creates money is a meaningful solution to a problem that's a decent amount of people experience. Now, that could be a big problem where the solution has a high fee attached to it, or that could be a simple problem like a post-it note or a ring pull on a can of Coke, which has which solves for, you know, billions of people. That is what creates money. That's the, the first step is, you know, what are the problems that humanity are facing from the simple and small but scalable to the, the meaningful and vast, like getting us off this planet, you know, or, or the, the, look at all the plastics that, that, that are, are going on at the moment. You know, if you create non-plastic bottles for water, you're going to make a lot of money. Um so that's step one. Now, there, humanity has a million problems a nanosecond. So the easiest thing in the world is to do that because we just have to look for what those problems are. And if you think of inventors, creators, entrepreneurs, that's what they've done. And, and you know, like there is no niche that doesn't have a problem that needs solving. Therefore, every niche, you can be an entrepreneur and you can make vast money in. Um, in my new book, I'm Worth More, and in Money, I'd listed loads of examples of really weird and wonderful business models that you'd think, wow, there's no way that people could make millions in that, where people made millions, millions and millions and millions. Um, and now, by the way, that solution is not just a meaningful problem in terms of saving the planet. It can just be an inconvenience that makes someone's life easier, or it could be entertainment. You know, we all want to be entertained. So it doesn't even have to be practical. It can be entertainment, like, a, you know, look at these films that gross hundreds of millions or, you know, that, do you remember the Furby or the Slinky? You remember that Slinky, the thing that sort of yeah, yeah. went down the stairs? I think that turned over something like 15 million. It was crazy. Um, so that's step one. Step two, then, is working on your self-worth and having the fair exchange balance of, you pricing enough to make a sustainable profit, but at the same time, the, the customer, the consumer feeling like that price has value in it. And it's, you know, not necessarily a bargain, but it's valuable. You know, so if you charge a fiver for something that costs you a tenner, you have low self-worth. You don't believe you can charge 15. There's no margin in it. You can't sustain your business. But if you charge 50 quid and it's only worth a fiver, that's a ripoff. Uh, and whilst you might be able to sell these with good salesmanship, the delivery will um, not meet expectation. And then you'll get complaints and you'll have bad PR uh, and you'll, you'll ultimately end up going bust. So it's that fair exchange is the balance of fair profit that's sustainable and scalable but not so much that it seems like it's greedy or monopolistic. That's the, the second step. And then the third step is the, op op the proposition, the irresistible offer, you know, the unique proposition of what it is and what it does and how it helps someone. And that's articulated in a marketing, you know, I think about John Lewis with their um, amazing Christmas marketing campaigns or Steve Jobs, a thousand songs in your pocket for the iPod. They are compelling marketing messages that move us to buy. 
And then the fourth thing is getting that message out to the masses. So it's your marketing media, like social media and, you know, your ad campaigns and your referral systems from, from your clients and removing the friction for people to buy from you by making it easy to pay and, you know, making the decision easy for the buyer. They are the four elements in, in an entrepreneurial sense. You know, obviously, if you're working in a, a jobs, you know, some of those are dictated upon you. But if you continue to to work on those things, your money will dramatically increase. And as your money increases, your belief around it increases. And then you pass them on, you pass those lessons on to your kids and you get your kids to do the same thing. Now they start with washing cars. I used to, um, it's called bottling up where um, the the day after a busy night in the pub, when all the shelves and fridges are empty of um, bottles of soft drinks and beer, I used to go down to the cellar, bring the crates up and bottle them up. Uh, And my dad used to pay me a pound for that. You know, so he, he was just teaching me how to um, create money. He'd let me wash cars. He'd let me uh, go and um, work out how to serve customers. So he was just, yeah. you know, like I resourcefulness, creativity, solving problems, you know, looking at better ways of doing existing things. They, they are things that, that create money. So they're the things you want to teach your kids. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Making a note of that. Just on the kids, I mean, um, I mean, I know yours are, reasonably young but the whole concept of pocket money to not doing anything that's a no-go for you right yeah for me there's certain things that are like chore or house related that they should do that they shouldn't get paid for because i want to teach my children how the world works so that they can create some best practices and strategies to deal with the challenging world and live a good life and the world doesn't pay you to do your chores so you know this your general upkeep the world don't pay you for the world pays you for service, for contribution, for value. So washing the cars, you know, maybe doing jobs that aren't expected in the upkeep of the house, selling things, listing stuff on eBay, you know, that kind of stuff. The world will pay for you for that. So I'll pay the kids for that. But what the world won't pay the kids, I won't pay the kids. I'll expect that to be done. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, I get that. Um, one of the things that I sort of talked about was this sort of, you know, I work hard. I've, I've I've done well myself. I've had a bit of a leg up. I'm fortunate to have a bit of a leg up from my folks from time to time as well. So I guess you know, creeping in there, there there is a, a, a little bit of a sort of I'm a bit of a fraud type type thing. And you know, I have this. I feel that I have this kind of cap on myself that um, you, you know, a sort of glass ceiling that I can't go beyond that. Um, and, and, and now I'm saying it, I, yeah, I, I, I really think that I do for some inexplicable reason. So, again, I mean, what, what, uh, what's your sort of take on that and, and how would you sort of remove that, essentially? Okay, so the two main things I picked up are fraud and then cap. So cap being the self-imposed ceiling. I'll deal with that first. We, we all have a self-imposed ceiling. All of us, you know, even billionaires do because it's stopping them from being a trillionaire. Um, Millionaires, it's stopping them from being a billionaire. So we all have a perception of an amount of money that is maybe beyond us or a business model that's bigger than us, something like that. So how do we break that? Well, I'm telling you that because then you know that you're no different from everyone else on the planet, no matter how successful they are. We all have them because they're based on our beliefs. And the bigger our beliefs and vision, the the um, the less limited and the more limitless our self-imposed ceilings are. 
So how we in, in, increase those ceilings or even smash through them is number one, increasing the size of our vision. Number two, it's having a desire and, and, and taking practical steps to help more people because the more people you help, the better you get remunerated for it in terms of getting a bigger brand and reach that people recommend and refer you to in terms of the volume of sales you're able to do or the impact that you have on the planet. The next thing is in increasing your mindset. So where you think I can't do this or that's a challenge or that's hard, work out how to do it. Work out how to solve bigger problems and deal with bigger problems. And as you fix a bigger problem, your mind sort of like, this is a very non-physical analogy. It's, it's quite crude. But, you know, if you imagine your brain uh, as, as like um, a sphere that expands in size and your current comfort zone is the the outer limit of its size. Well, as you get uncomfortable and deal with bigger problems, it, it, it's forcing your brain to push its size. And then as you solve that problem, it grows in size and it can't then retract back because it now knows what it knows and it can't unknow what it knows. So when you challenge yourself to bigger and more meaningful problems and solve them, that could be really difficult staff issues. You know, that could just be dealing with critics and trolls that are really going after you. Legal cases, you know, just fixing things that are hard. You know, if you go through a property purchase that's difficult and you fix the problems and you sort the planning out and it's a wrestle and it's a nightmare, you can't unlearn what you learned because it's, you just, you know, you know that you can't. So then you grow and then the size of your your value grows and your worth grows. And you think, well, you know what? I might have accepted 200 pounds as my consultancy rate to solve that problem. But I now know I know more and I'm worth more. So now my fees are 500 quid because you're, you're, you've expanded your uh, mindset, your capacity and your ability. So um, what most people don't do is challenge themselves to do that. And so they just live life in response and reactively according to what happens. Most of the time they hide from big problems, so they never grow. And occasionally they have a big problem and they're forced to solve it. And then that forces them to grow. Um, now, what I would say is force yourself into that position. Now, don't force yourself to grow to a point where it's just so too big for you that you break, but you constantly challenge yourself to smaller, but you know, more incremental challenges solving bigger problems. Um, so that is the continuing to go and, and increase your capacity for size and scale and what you believe is a lot of money. The next thing is don't label yourself. It's good that you know that there's something there, but don't own it by saying, oh yeah, now I know that I've got a self-imposed um, ceiling. Don't, don't label it. Um, you know, it's like when people say to me, oh Rob, I'm, I'm, you know, I've hit a brick wall. Well, no, they haven't because otherwise their head would really hurt. They might break some bones. So they, they label themselves, try to understand where you're at, but then not put a label or an identity on it. And then you challenge yourself at those points of, of discomfort. Now, the fraud bit. Um, well, I try my best. Now, we're all a work in progress to not over or underplay who I am. You know, and in the past, I've either maybe bigged myself up to try and prove myself or I've been overly humble when I had a chance to actually show the world that I've done some stuff and it's worth shouting about. You know, I, I rarely do it. Um, but actually owning my strengths and talents and successes and admitting my flaws and weaknesses, 
That is the greatest gift I can give to myself and others. So you and anyone listening, we're either overplaying our weaknesses, underplaying our strengths or anywhere in between. And so when you are true to who you are, i.e., if you want X, Y, and Z, I can help you. But if you want A, B, and C, I can't. So I'll give you an example. I do a lot of training and I have, a lot, I have companies that do you know, a lot of information and course-based training. And if someone wants unrealistic get-rich-quick and they want to be a millionaire in five minutes, you know, we're the wrong people because that's bullshit and it don't work. And, you know, like I would just say, go somewhere else. But at the same time, if you want to spend 10 years doing a degree to, to, a degree to get into 100 grand's worth of debt to then still not be earning any money, we're also the wrong company because that is too slow and you're not in control and it can be done a lot quicker. If you want to be challenged to grow and sometimes you won't always feel comfortable, if you want real life practical experience, it's not a university degree, but it's real life practical courses from entrepreneurs who've done it and made the mistakes and you want warts and all, i.e. we'll admit all of our flaws, then we're right for you. You know, I'm not very good at running university degrees because I'm too chaotic and and I just go out there and do it and figure it out later. Um, And I think that sometimes... You know, going down a like a proper education system, it's too restrictive. You know, they're, they're so regulated on what they can say. But at the same time, we don't overpromise stuff that doesn't work. So I know my place in the middle. I'm kind of in the middle of those two extremes when it comes to, you know, our ethos about providing training on courses and education. And, you know, like I check myself regularly if I'm moving from one extreme to the other. And then I don't feel a fraud. Yeah. So I don't make promises I can't keep. But I also challenge people to grow. So you can never be a fraud when you're being true to who you are. Now, when you start or you perceive you're not very experienced, you will think, oh, well, I've not done it. There's loads of people who've done it better than me. But there's people who are bigger than me. All you can do is say, hey, look, I think I can help you with this product or this service. And I feel confident that, you know, I can help you. You know, I can't help people who want 10,000 buy to lets because I've bought, sold, owned, managed 750. But actually, someone who's just bought their first buy-to-let is probably a better hand-holding mentor than me because I bought my first buy-to-let 12 years ago. So people with less experience than me are probably more well-equipped to help people at that level because they've just done it. So as long as they're not saying, hey, I've got 100 buy-to-lets, I can help you go from 0 to 100 in five minutes. As long as they're saying, hey, look, you know, I've not got 1,000 buy-to-lets, but I've just completed my first one. And if you'd like to follow my system and have your hand held buying the first one, that's how I can help you. If you want any more than that, go to Rob or someone else. And I'd say if you want a mentor who can help you get 10,000, go to Andreas Paniotto, you know, whatever. Um, And there's a space for us all. And then, of course, as we get better, we grow, we get more confident, we're able to get bigger, you know, we're able to help more people. Um, Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And that sort of, I guess, feeds back to the, um, you know, the the, the cap, the self-imposed cap. I mean, it's kind of related to two, isn't it? I mean... um, you know, if, if you grow, if you're constantly facing the challenges and overcoming those challenges, you do feel less of a fraud. You can justify it yourself, can't you? Yeah, and what is a fraud anyway? You know, like everything in humanity is subjective. So being a fraud is subjective. You know, I think a fraud is someone who, who, who cons people into giving them money or a service and then scams them out of it and then runs off. Uh, like, that's my definition of a fraud. You're not one of those. Um, And a lot of people who feel like they're a fraud are not one of those. I think what they really mean is they don't want to get found out for being something they're not. So don't be something you're not. I know it sounds oversimplistic, but it is simple. 
You're, you can only feel a fraud when you're being something you're not. Now, sometimes we feel a fraud because other people are projecting out that we are something we're not. But if you know you're not something you're not, then no one else can convince you that you're not something you're not. Anyone can call me a fraud, but I'm not, I don't believe them because I'm not being. And if from time to time I get outside of my, you know, like sphere of competence, I deserve that feedback to get me back into balance anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. You've got one more we've got. Well, actually, we're three minutes over, but I called you two minutes late. So we've got two more minutes if you've got one more thing. Yeah, a two-minute two run. I mean, I'm from Bedford, just down the road from you. Um, question on that market. I mean, what, what, do you know anything about that market in terms of the sort of buy-to-let and the, the potential there? No, I know nothing about Bedford because for me, what works is knowing your local area better than anyone else. So here's actually a good example of me not being a fraud, you know, because I've got a lot of property and we've got the UK's biggest property training company. And the old me might have gone, oh, well, I better try and answer that question to show I've got loads of knowledge. Or someone might think I don't really deserve to be, you know, one of the, to have the biggest training organization in the UK because I can't even answer what the property market's like in Bedford. But I'm not trying to be that. I don't, you know, you know Bedford better than me. And if you've been doing buy to let for a, a three months, you know Be- Bedford better than me. But that, it does not work to try and know. it. Like, I, I would argue this. Anyone who knows the generic markets in all cities in the UK knows nothing about buying properties locally in their area that are best that work. Because that's like trying to be a professional cricketer, golfer, tennis player, snooker player, and whatever, you'll end up being nothing. So, you know, like, I, I feel like I have some knowledge of general market forces, like supply and demand. Has Bedford got um, more people in it than it can house? Probably, because the whole of the UK has. You know, are there properties in Bedford that need regeneration or could be converted from commercial to residential? Probably because most of the UK has. Has has the UK proven to be a market that continually goes up for like a thousand, nearly a thousand years of data? Yes. So Bedford's probably going to be similar. Is it likely to be relatively similar to Peterborough because it's close to Peterborough, i.e. not that similar to Kensington and Chelsea and not similar to the north? Well, probably because it's pretty close. Has it got estate agents in that you can build relationships with and get the best deals from? Yes, because every city has. So a lot of the forces are the same as Peterborough. But I don't know the average prices. I don't know the streets that are better than others that have higher yield. I don't know which estate agents are independent and which are corporate, which ones give you the best deals and which don't. You know, I don't know what um, direct-to-vendor marketing works best in Bedford. You know, I don't know what the yields are. I don't know what the best kind of property strategies are, whether it's rent-to-rent or HMO or commercial conversion or whatever. I don't know what the town centre is like compared to Peterborough. But if I lived there, I could find that out and I could get that knowledge better than anyone else in Bedford. And when you have knowledge better than anyone else in Bedford, then you make millions in property. And that's what Mark and I have done in Peterborough for the last 15 years. Um, Yeah, yeah. But if Brexit comes and the recession comes, it will mean, you know, it'll probably mean that prices go down. If prices go down, then yields will go up. You know, logically, you'd rather buy cheaper houses than more expensive ones. You'd rather buy below market value than have to pay full price. You'd rather it be a buyer's market than a seller's market. And if Brexit and a recession happen, then that's what it is, it is more likely to be. Yeah. 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 Understood. Cool. Brilliant. All right. Well, listen. Thank you so much. I don't want to put you behind, Chef. I really appreciate you taking time out. Um, I hope that was useful if you uh, post it anywhere. 
and um, I'll, I'll definitely like to stay in touch. And you know, you've got one listener in Hong Kong, even if you haven't got many others. It's my pleasure, and have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Bye. So I hope you found that useful. Uh, a bit of an experiment to do a live coaching call. Um, we kept the, the caller's name anonymous, but I want to thank him for being open and game to doing that and sharing some of his vulnerabilities. There's nothing wrong with that. We can all learn from that. Uh, so if you would like the opportunity to do the same thing, then I am doing a little bit of a special offer where if you buy five um, paperback copies, I don't know, I went <laughs> hardback, I was going to say, but there's no hardback. If you buy five paperback copies of my book Money in a bookshop shop, or store, so Waterstones, WH Smith, airports, um, then I will uh, extend the same offer to you where we can do a live coaching call, whether it's on the phone or even face-to-face on video. Um, and then I will uh, look at, at publishing that on my podcast, either Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast or this podcast money. So uh, you need to um, just share an image of you buying the five books. Please leave one copy in the store so that they've not gone so other people can buy them. This is just a little experiment that I'm doing. Um, I probably will, you know, run it for a few weeks and then stop it. I'm doing it to see if it makes a difference and testing the um, stores and how quickly they stock up and how many of my books they stock. Some people have been saying, saying, oh, I tried to do that and there's only one book in stock. So I'm like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Some people have they've got more in stock. So it's just a bit of an experiment for me, for me really to see how it goes. Um, so buy five copies of my book Money or Start Now, Get Perfect Later or any of my books actually. Um, take a photo, share it in the Disruptive Entrepreneur Facebook community. Um, and then I will, um, if you fancied having a live coaching session with me, um, my um, clients who have me on my yearly mentoring should pay minimum £25,000 a year. So you'll get, what, 30 minutes for free or for the cost of five books. So it's hopefully a good value to you too. Um, and you can bring any of your business challenges or anything sort of personal development or anything you'd just like to work on if you think I can help you. Um, so yeah, join the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community, um, sh- uh, share the photo of your five books and we'll get that booked in. Also, we're um, just actually building a new studio in my offices. So you can also come down to the studio. We can sit in video professionally. We can stream that out to some of my pages and my podcast. So it's actually really good um, promotion for you as well. And if you want me to share your name and not f- for it to be um, anonymous, then I'll, I'm, all, I'm all game. So yeah, just a little bit of a test. Let's sort of, I want to get you more involved. Um, I'm really grateful for you listening to my work and following my work. So thanks very much. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.